This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Here in Manchester, we're starting a brand new site of our church in Manchester City Centre. And last weekend, we had a dry run event for that plant. At that event, I was speaking about church planting and how unless God's in it, church planting is a stupid idea. I was speaking from Acts chapter 18. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that talk. We hope you enjoy it. And you can find the full notes on everything that I was saying at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 99. Hey, so yeah, I'm Tom. If you don't know me, I'm going to speak to you uh, this evening. And as you may have seen uh, on the screen, I've gone with a slightly um, clickbaity title uh, that church planting is stupid. Uh, because when you're planting a church, what you're doing is you're taking something that, I mean, look around, it's pretty small, isn't it? It's a small room, it's a small group of people. It seems insignificant and like there's nothing to it. And yet you're trying to do something that is massive. I mean, look around our city, look around the needs in Manchester, look at the brokenness, look at the addiction, look at the poverty, look at the uh, spiritual darkness around us. And you're trying to take the thing that's small and insignificant and do the huge thing using this as the vehicle. It's like, um, imagine like a hobbit stepping out of his hobbit hole to go and conquer a Death Star. That's kind of what you're doing when you're planting a church. Church planting is stupid okay it's also really hard work actually you're grinding it out everything that comes up you're figuring it out for the first time and uh, you, you're using your evenings you're using your days you're meeting people you're having all sorts of uh, things that you, you're exhausted by the end of it and it's a lot of fun but there are times that it bites Bob Roberts he said that a church planter is someone who can grow grass on rocks okay that's kind of what we are trying to do church planting is stupid Uh, Church planting is stupid, actually, because when you go around Manchester, not that many people are interested. Uh, I don't know if you found that. Um, Now, I'm not one of the people who say that culture is really hostile to Christianity. I don't think it is. That's not been my experience here in Manchester. I think a much better word is indifferent, okay? If I go around and uh, go up to random people and say, hey, we're starting a new church in Manchester, I don't think many of them will get angry, but I think a lot of them will just go, so what, and go on their way. Actually, there's so much going on in this city. Everyone has a packed life. So many different interests that you can pursue. It's not that easy to cut through. So church planting is stupid. When you're planting a church, you're putting yourself in the place of rejection. It's a vulnerable place. The number of times that you go out uh, for a coffee with someone, you have someone around your house and you you pitch them on, hey, we're doing something. Come join us. It will be amazing. And uh, we're the best one in the world. People actually say, you know what? I I don't think this is for me right now. I want to I go somewhere kind of big and loads of people and, and you put yourself in that place of rejection some of the people connect with you and you grow but time and again you're opening yourself up to that possible rejection that's part of what church planting is church planting is stupid church planting is stupid because opposition is real Okay, there's a spiritual enemy out there and you're trying to do something to advance the kingdom of God so you're stepping into the firing line you're putting yourself 
where all the bullets are being fired. You're moving to the front line. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But there's a whole bunch of reasons why you might say that church planting is a stupid thing to do. There's a whole bunch of arguments not to plant a church. And in fact, in many ways, not planting a church is the most sensible course of action. It's certainly the easiest option open to us. And all that is on one side of the scales. And to counterbalance that on the other side of the scales, I've only really got one argument for you. Uh, And that is that God is going to do something. And that's it. That's all I've got to balance out all the reasons that it's stupid. But I reckon it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty big one. It's a pretty weighty one. Because if God's going to show up and he's going to change lives and he's going to transform a community around us, if he's going to plant his kingdom into this place, then all that stuff I shared at the start, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because God is going to do something. So church planting is stupid unless God is in it. But if God's in it, then why would we want to do anything else? So as we set out, as we in two weeks' time launch our new church plant, the big question that we need to answer is, is God in this? Is God going to do something here? So this evening we're going to have a look at the story of one church that was planted in the Bible. This is in the book of Acts. And in this church, I think they knew for sure that God was in what they were doing. And they knew that it would work. We're going to try and pick out a few of the clues in this church plant to see what gave them confidence that God was in it. So if you've got a Bible, uh, can you turn to Acts chapter 18? Uh, I'll display verses on the screen for you as well if you don't have one with you. Acts chapter 18, please. And I'll just read verse 1 to start with. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Paul, uh, he was one of the apostles of Jesus, but he wasn't one of the 12 who'd been following Jesus when he was alive. Actually, he became a Christian later. And after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, and people started going out spreading the word, Paul, he actually opposed them. Okay, He didn't want to have anything to do with it, and he wanted to stop them. Uh, we, we read earlier in Acts, he was actually there when Stephen, the first Christian to die for his faith, Paul was there. He was helping. He was holding the coats of the people who were doing it. And then uh, he got permission to go to another city, Damascus, uh, and find and kill Christians there. But on his way, he has this vision of Jesus. The risen Jesus appears to him and stops him in his tracks. Paul is blinded uh, by what happens. And and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? At this moment, he repents. He puts his trust in Jesus and his life is turned around completely. And Jesus gives him this commission and he says, you are going to be my chosen vessel to reach the Gentiles. All the cities of this earth, you're going to have a commission to go and reach them, share the good news all over the place. So then uh, Paul gets up, he he goes to Damascus, finds this guy, uh, Ananias, who Jesus has appeared to, told him to pray for him. He regains his sight, and then he gets trained up, he learns his stuff, and he starts doing this commission that Jesus has given to him. He starts trying to spread the gospel message across the whole of the world. And he had a strategy, he had an approach, a plan for how he was going to do it. And he basically went round the Mediterranean and he found the biggest, most influential, most prominent city that he could in every region. And he went there and he preached the gospel and he got a church established there. And when he'd done it, he moved on to the next big city. And then he moved on to the next city and the next one. And his plan to reach the world was to get churches planted in cities 
Okay? Uh, and one of them is Corinth, and that's where uh, he's going in our passage. Why cities? Why are cities so important? Why do we want to be right in the centre of Manchester? Because it's not that cities are actually more important than towns or rural areas. Okay? Anywhere that people live are important to reach because God loves people. So it's not that cities are more important, but they're definitely more strategic. Reaching cities can have a huge impact. Why? Well, the, the density of a city. Think how many people live in such a short, uh, such a small area. Uh, area of space. If you go in a city and you can influence that, you will reach loads of people. Also, cities are really diverse. You get people from different backgrounds, different races, different social upbringings, all different types of people together. It's a melting pot. And people in cities are actually mobile. So there'll be people living here in Manchester who a year from now won't be living here. They might have moved out to the suburbs. They might have moved to the towns nearby. They might have moved to other parts of the country or other nations of the world. And actually, there's an opportunity in a city to bring new life to someone who then goes somewhere else and sees new life spread in new areas. From a city, you can have a huge impact. Cities are places of cultural influence. Where the cities go today is usually where the outlying areas will go tomorrow. So actually, when we're trying to start a church in a city, the goal isn't just get a church started. The goal is the mission. The goal is the kingdom of God. The goal is advancing the gospel. But Paul's best tactic to get that done was to get churches started in cities. That's why we are doing this. And so actually by planting here, we've got a desire to plant out from here, to go into Salford, to go into North Manchester, to go into all different places. Paul, he went into Corinth. And Corinth was a city, um, depending on what uh, sources you look at, somewhere between about 100,000 and about 600,000 people in population. Uh, It was in modern day Greece, and it was a city that was a lot like Manchester. And actually, um, in the upcoming weeks, uh, because it's so like Manchester, uh, we're going to be learning a lot more about this city. We're going to uh, study some of Paul's writings. How do you be church? How do you live out faith in this kind of a city? But today, we're going to look at how this church got started. So we'll read on uh, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So the first thing that that Paul finds in Corinth that's a big clue that it was going to work was God-given partnership. He found other people who would work with him there. It mentions Aquila and Priscilla. Now this was a couple uh, of Jews from Rome. At that time actually a lot of people were being cleared out of Italy. Okay so um, the Roman army had this deal like if you do uh, a good tour of duty with them then you'd get given some land in Italy. To fulfill this, they had to kick a whole bunch of other people off the land in Italy to give them. So lots of people were being evicted. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla would have been amongst them. And Corinth was one of the kind of buzzing, up-and-coming cities in the empire. So people relocated from Italy to Corinth. So Aquila and Priscilla were there. uh, And their job was making tents. And Paul's job was making tents. So he found some common ground. And they let him stay at their house. Now, when you're moving to a new city, finding somewhere to live 
is an important first step. And actually by living with them, we see that Aquila and Priscilla start to become key people for Paul. Now it doesn't say if they were believers when he first moved in, but they certainly were uh, in time because of his influence. And as we read through the further kind of church planting adventures of Paul, we see their names come up often. So uh, they've gone from people who were just of the same trade, opening their house, to key members of his team. They're there in Ephesus and other places as well. So this is a really good start because you can't plant a church on your own and he's found some other people. So the first sign of whether God is in it is are there others who start to share in the vision? Will people gather to it? And Paul shows up and he finds that there are. There's Aquila and Priscilla. Just over a year ago, Colin put a call out and said, who wants to start a church in the centre of Manchester? He couldn't do it on his own, but he found that there were people who would gather to that same vision. Alistair gathered to it. Tom and Vicky gathered to it. Heather, who's not around at the moment, gathered to it. A couple of others did as well. So kind of a few people start gathering to it. Uh, and what Paul did, because it was just him and Aquila and Priscilla, is it said he, he just reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, just once a week, They'd go, they'd try and get the ball rolling and make something happen. We had a very similar approach. Once a week, we'd go and reason in Costa, let's say. Uh, we'd open up the Bible and uh, just see what would happen. Well, and a bit later, verse 5, we saw that Silas and Timothy showed up. Silas and Timothy were friends of Paul. He'd worked with them before. So now, this team is just starting to grow a bit. And as it grows, and particularly some people coming in who've got a bit of capacity, a bit of experience, a bit of time to throw into it, then more can be done. And so in verse 5, they increase the pace. And it says, now Paul was occupied with the word. So they're doing more than they did before. It mirrors our journey. Steadily, since Colin put out that first call, more people have been added in. Our own Silas's and Timothy's, so to speak. Uh, over the year, people have just started coming to this midweek Costa meeting. So Ellie started coming. Emma started coming. Uh, Dan started coming. Then Abby joined on the FP year. Uh, and then more recently, emails have been coming through. People have been hearing what we've done and said, hey, what's going on? I want to check this out. And there's an influx of people coming in. God brings partnerships. And these partnerships are the first clue that God is doing something because people are interested. People want to make a splash. God's uniting a group of people for a shared purpose and mission. So the first clue is the God-given partnership. The second clue we'll see in verses 6 and 7 is God-given provision. Uh, so verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So the problem here, Paul who's been going to the synagogue, he's been trained to reason there. That makes sense as a starting point because uh, the Jewish uh, community, they'd have had all the Old Testament background, all the prophecies. So as a starting point trying to reach Corinth, it makes sense. But the trouble is they're not really happy with Paul showing up every week and disrupting their meetings with his preaching uh, and they kind of want rid of him. And so they kick him out. So he's like, well that's fine, there's tons more people in Corinth, we'll, we'll go and preach to the Gentiles. 
emails will reach some other people if you don't want to see it. But the big problem is you now need somewhere to meet. So going to the synagogue, well, that's easy because that's a public meeting anyway. But now he's got this issue. We need a meeting place. That's part of church planting. You've got to find somewhere to meet. And actually, God provided for him in an incredible way. So this guy, Titius Justus, who it mentioned, a worshipper of God. So there is a believer with a big house next door to the synagogue who was up for having meetings at his house. Isn't that incredible? So they were having their meetings in one place. They get kicked out. And the bloke next door was like, hey, come here. I mean, they don't really have to move their, their cage full of equipment very far, do they? The signs uh, just kind of change which way the arrow's going. And it's all fine. God provided a perfect place for them to meet. That's another clue that God is in it and that he's doing something. When I was younger, I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Anyone do D of E? Yes, you did. I don't know why I did DV. It was one of the biggest mistakes of my life, if I'm honest. Um, so I, I'm the kind of person who's about uh, as outdoorsy uh, as um, an, an inside room. I've not got a good metaphor there. I was trying to think of one on the fly. I don't have one. I'm not very outdoorsy at all. We, we go to Christian festivals where everyone camps, and, and we book into a B&B down the road. Okay, That's how uh, we're not into that. But I signed up to do DV. We had to do a practice expedition out in the Peak District and uh, basically the expedition was you walk 20 miles every day with a massive heavy pack on your bag uh, in the rain then you put up a tent that's soaking wet because you didn't put it away properly you crawl into a soaking wet sleeping bag you don't eat anything because all you've got is one of those little kind of gas stoves and super noodles and you can't figure out how to get it lighted uh, and you spend a week doing that basically it's just miserable and horrible I don't recommend it at all but I did it. And after the third day of this, I had had enough. I was completely breaking down. I was ready to kind of just throw in the towel. Uh, and so I phoned my parents. Now, my parents lived in Sheffield, not too far from the Peak District. I was ranting. I think I was crying. I was completely broken by the experience. So what do they do? They drive out to the Peak District. They don't tell any of the other people on the expedition with me. They tell me where to meet them. And then they take me for a pub dinner. Okay? It was brilliant. It was just what I needed, okay? Good parents who love me, providing just what I need at the moment, I need it. God is like that too. You know, for us, this is a pretty nice venue we're in actually, isn't it? It meets all our needs perfectly. When you're planting a church, the venue is the most stressful bit for most church planters. The number of people I've known who've spent months and pretty much all they've been doing is phoning venue after venue after venue, getting turned down. No, you can't come here. No, we're already booked up. Yes, you can. It'll cost you two grand a week. And all this stuff that rules them out. You can, but you can't store your kit here. It's really hard to find good venues. Well, this one, rather than have to spend months, I was dreading it. I thought between September and December, that's that's going to be my life, just scouring every venue in the city centre. I hadn't even started looking yet. It was late July. I was walking down the street, walking past this place, and there was a sign outside saying meeting rooms for hire. And do you know sometimes you just get a hunch in your spirit? I mean, I just felt God said, just go and ask them. So I asked. They brought me up here. Let me have a look at the room. I asked them how much it would be. It was way less than what we'd budgeted, to be honest, so don't tell them that. Um, uh, but spot on. So I was like, right, let's do it. Let's just sign up now. God provides. He is is a good provider. 
when my son Sam started school about a year and a half ago, we made sure we kitted him out with everything he needed for his new adventure. He had his little lunchbox, he had his uniform, his school shoes, his bag, everything he could possibly need. We wanted to make sure he had what he needed to step out into what he was doing. That's how God is. And God has provided for us all the gear, the room, everything we need, we have. That's another clue that God is in it. God loves us so much. He's even given us his only son. Actually, he's brought each one of us to himself. And if he's given us Jesus, won't he surely give us all things? So there's God-given partnership. There's the God-given provision that they found. Well, the third thing that they find in Corinth was God-given progress. And we see this in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians here in Paul believed and were baptised. There's progress. Things are happening. The first one mentioned is Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. So this synagogue that's kicked him out, that wasn't happy, actually the guy in charge had become a believer and got saved through his ministry. That is incredible. And then we find in verse 17, actually, that the guy who was the ruler of the synagogue uh, was called Sosthenes. So uh, I guess it's the same guy, two names, Crispus, Sosthenes. But in 1 Corinthians, we find that letters written by Paul and Sosthenes. So this guy who's got saved then goes traveling with Paul writing kind of a book of the Bible. Uh, this is the progress that they're making. But it's not just him, because uh, it says Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. The gospel impacts families. Actually, with my family, when I first became a believer, around the same time, my mum became a believer. My sister became a believer. Now, there are other family members that we're still uh, longing will meet with God, that we're still praying for. But there is something about how God works that he loves to impact families. And I believe here in Manchester, we can do something that can impact families and actually that can impact families all over the world. People who are living here whose families are in other places we can make an impact on. And then he says actually many of the Corinthians here in Paul believed and were baptised. This is what we dream of isn't it? Many people who hear the message to believe. It's a massive clue that God is in it and doing something if you're seeing lives changed, if you're seeing salvation happening. God is at work because something is happening there. This is our prayer for Manchester. You know, I came across some stats that really bugged me. I hope they bug you as well. And the stats say that most new churches don't see anybody saved in the first year from when they launch. Now that's, that's troubling. That, that annoys me. And we need to pray that that will not be so for us. Because it wasn't so in Acts. You read Acts and they were seeing people saved all the time. We want a bit of that. But you know what? I am pretty encouraged by what God has been doing so far. So uh, the guy who works in the coffee shop where we've been doing our midweek meetings, he, he started coming to some of our socials. He's asked some incredibly good questions. He's asking uh, about uh, why we believe. He's asking uh, about who the Holy Spirit is. He started praying. Uh, he's seen prayers answered. He's been thanking God for those answers to prayer. Then he's been offering prayer for other people. He's on a journey. He's on his way. This is progress. Let's pray for him that he meets Jesus for himself.
himself and get saved. A guy in another coffee shop locally was said he wants to come check it out. This is a guy from a Muslim background, but he's asking questions. He's interested. Alistair and Jason were out on the street and uh, they prayed for a guy who'd had a smashed up foot and they saw him healed. This is the kind of thing we want to see. And we're already seeing the first fruits of it. I think that's the phrase, isn't it? This is the first fruit. So let's praise God for what we've seen and pray for tons more of it. So God-given partnerships, God-given provision, God-given progress. Fourthly, he had God-given promises. So uh, Acts 18, 9 to 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So at this point for Paul, it seems like things are going well. People are responding to his message, but there's also opposition. The pressure is being ratcheted up. So it might be uh, easy for him to think, yeah, I've kind of got things established here. It's time to move on. Maybe actually uh, I'd be better off making a start somewhere else where uh, I'm not going to get killed or, or whatever it might be. But then he gets this vision. Jesus appears to him and speaks directly to him and says, come on, Paul, keep going. Don't give up because I've got people in this city and your preaching will reach them. That's essentially what Jesus says. It's a promise directly from Jesus. And after that, how could he give up when he knew that Jesus was going to save people? He would be 100% sure that God was in it after getting a vision like that. And we'll see when we look into 1 Corinthians, he seems to be so um, tender towards those Corinthians. He seems to treasure them and cherish them so much. I think a lot of that was shaped by this because Jesus has said these are my people in this city and that shapes the way Paul is so gentle and kind with them even when there are issues amongst them if God has spoken then we know that God is in it and I, I believe God has spoken to us I wonder what Jesus would say to us and to Manchester and I have a hunch it'd be pretty similar to what he said in Corinth do not give up I have many people in this city but I don't want to just tell you about what I think Jesus would say. Let me tell you about what Jesus has said, because uh, we have some prophetic promises of our own. Um, I'll tell you one, uh, Colin, actually, a few years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, when he first moved up to this city, dreaming his heart of getting churches started all over this place. Goes to a meeting, there's a prophet at the front who he's never met before, who knows nothing about him. Picks him out of the crowd and says, you are going to put stakes in place all over this city. And these stakes are going to be webbed together. And the strength is not going to come from any one of the stakes, but actually the web and the connection between all of them will be what provides the strength. And that's what's been happening since as we've been at Christchurch Manchester planting into different parts of the city. These are the stakes and we're connected together and we're one church and there's a strength in that unity and togetherness for our city. And we're just another of those stakes going into this place right in the heart of the city centre. We're part of that word. I'll tell you another one about myself. I'd been, uh, I, I thought God was talking to me about Manchester and church planting a few years ago. And I wanted to be sure. I, I, I kind of have this thing. If I think God's saying something and it's a big deal, uh, I think it's okay to ask him to confirm it. Uh, he's God. He can do that. So I, I came to Manchester for a day and I said, I'm going to walk around. I, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm here. Uh, and when I got off the train, I said, God, 
if this is you, if you're telling me to come here and do church planting, today, would you give me a sign? And so later that day, I'm walking down the street. There's, there's a guy walking the other way towards me, and uh, I think he might have had some kind of mental illness because he was just talking to himself, total incoherent nonsense. But then when he gets to me, he just stops, and he looks at me, and he says, this is a sign from God. And then he walked on his way. I mean, that, it just blew me for six because I'd asked God to give me a sign that day, and there it was, as clear as anything. I know God wants me to be here and be planting churches. There's some other specific shaping stuff that we've had time and again when people kind of pray into city centre. I keep hearing the phrase, a light in the darkness. I think that's something for us here that will shape us. And I'd encourage you, lean into God to have specific words over your own life. If there's an environment where you know people with prophetic giftings will be there, get along to it and see what God says to you. So we have these kind of prophetic promises. We also have the promises of the Bible. God speaks in his word and makes promises. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says in the Old Testament that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It says the mountain of the Lord will be the highest of all the mountains. Jesus himself said, when two or three of you are gathered together, I will be there with you. We have promises. God has spoken. So we know that God is in this. And then finally, Paul had God-given protection. Verses 12 to 17. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, Well, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I'd have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. They all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So they've had that promise, haven't they? Look, I've got your back, Paul. Keep preaching. And actually, they won't be able to come against you and harm you. I have many in this city. And we see it worked out here. People are going to Gallio, this uh, ruler of the city, uh, to make an accusation against Paul. But actually, uh, when Paul was about to make his defence, Gallio just stepped in uh, and said, I'm not going to accept your complaint. I'm not going to take this from you. This is just an internal matter. You deal with it yourself. So there was an attack on what Paul was doing, and there was protection. God protected him through the way Gallio responded. Now, don't get me wrong here, Sosthenes still got beaten up. So it's not like nothing ever bad will happen to you if you're planting a church. But ultimately, when you see that God has got your back, you know that God is in it. Here's the truth about church planting, okay? The spiritual battle is real. I alluded to it at the start. And the closer you find yourself to the front lines, the more intense the battle will become. So uh, there's two things you need to know about spiritual battle today. Number one is that it's likely to happen, and particularly as we're getting close to launch, be on your guard that this 
could well happen to you, okay? It could. There could be spiritual attack. The enemy would love to derail what we're doing. Even more than that, he'd love to derail your walk with Jesus. Be on your guard. We've seen a, a, a few things already. I'm not one of these people who actually kind of goes around saying, oh yeah, this is spiritual attack, that's spiritual attack all the time. I think it's um, often things are just circumstance, but sometimes you just get a ring of, actually, I think there's something more in this. A few things recently. Um, with myself, I've told many of you before, I've had a long-standing battle kind of on the, on the battleground of sleep. Okay, It's always been a challenging thing for me. But actually, the last few months, the battle has been harder than it ever has been before. I think there's a spiritual dimension to that. It's a, it's a weak spot, perhaps, that's been targeted. Uh, another one I mentioned on Tuesday, um, money. Okay, I had a, a tax bill come through uh, that was way more than I possibly expected. And so I was thinking, flip, right as we're about to kind of launch something, this bill for 1,600 quid, do I need to just use every hour instead of planning and meeting people and praying and getting things ready to go here? Do I need to just be working so many random shifts? Because the 31st of January is the tax deadline. We need to get this money. So I was kind of stressing out about this that had come through. A couple of days after that, um, my computer screen, um, now uh, my computer, I use it for my work, for my business, for, for church stuff. It is a tool I need in many areas of life. I'd let my four-year-old boy play with it. Now, he, um, he doesn't understand the difference between a touchscreen computer and a non-touchscreen computer. Um, and, and so when I get it back, there's a massive thumb mark in the middle of it. And you know how kind of all the like, bits of light are going all over the screen from it? I can't see on this thing. I can't do anything with it. So I kind of look on my phone and say, look, how do you deal with this issue? And basically the answer comes back, you don't, you're stuffed, you buy a new computer pretty much was the answer to it um, so I flipped this is another thing how am I going to do all the things I need to do I, again especially with the tax thing having happened how do I I'll get a new computer if I need to do that. It's not just me, though, that's been facing I think the stuff last term with, with Alistair and with your bike, I think that was spiritual attack, actually. Your bike got nicked, and it kind of really knocked you for six for a while. Um, stuff with um, Vicky and all the things around her job just for so long was such a, an area of attack for her. So that's the first thing. You just need to be ready. Spiritual attack comes when you step out for God. But the second thing you need to know is that a spiritual attack doesn't leave it as you against the devil. Okay, actually, Jesus is fighting and he's fighting for you and he's fighting with you. So, I don't know if you've seen in the comics when you've got a little kid and it looks like they're being bullied and the bully is there and they kind of dominate the thing, but then in the next box in the comic, uh, the big brother comes along and he's so much even bigger than the bully. That's kind of how it is with spiritual warfare. Okay, it might seem that what the devil might throw at us is big and intimidating, but we've got Jesus on our side and he has overcome everything the devil can throw at us. So I told you about this um, tax bill that came through, £1,600, and I'm stressed, and I'm praying, and I hear the voice of Jesus say to me, do you trust me? And I'm like, well, that's one of those questions that when you're praying, it, it doesn't feel like no is an okay answer. So I was like, well, I think so. I kept praying and got to the point where my answer was yes, yes, I do trust you. And kind of had a sense in my spirit that by the end of that day, it would be sorted out. 
And then I come home, and then um, okay, Emma says, oh, I've had an idea. There's a, an old bank account. There might be like one or two hundred pounds in it. It might just make a little dent towards the thing. So um, goes online, looks at it, and in this account, there is one thousand eight hundred pounds. So the tax bill plus a little bit of change. You see, spiritual attack will come, but it doesn't win. Same thing with the computer screen. So I'd been in like a coffee shop trying to work, and I couldn't work because of the screen. I looked at it, and I was stressed out. Right, I'm going home. As I was in the car, I was praying, uh, and it was annoying because um, this was like very, very uh, close to the time that um, Jesus had said, do you trust me on the money? And I hear the same question, do you trust me? And I'm like, is this just my head doing it? Because it worked last time. All right, yes, I trust you. I've just seen you come through. I get home, I open my computer, the screen is fine. It's just sorted itself out. You see, Jesus is involved. I mentioned about, I, I thought there was a kind of spiritual type. Vicky was about a year kind of just in turmoil about uh, kind of getting a job in the field that she uh, had trained in. Tomorrow, she's starting in the job of her dreams. You see, Jesus is at work. Jesus fights the battles. And this is our fifth and final clue that God is in it because the opposition will come. But when you see God fighting for you and protecting you and overcoming all the barriers to make it happen, it's a clue that God is in it. As they planted in Corinth, they'd found a God-given partnership with others to build together. They'd been blessed with God-given provision of a building that was perfect for their needs. They'd experienced God-given progress in the mission. They'd received God-given promises and they'd been guarded by God-given protection. God was working in them and for them as they stepped out. So they could have absolute confidence that church planting was not a stupid idea because they knew that God was in it with them. Do you know what? Over the last year, we've experienced all of the same things that they did. We've seen God put together a partnership of people ready to step out together. God has provided for us with what we need. We've seen the first fruits of that progress in the mission, and we long for more. We have God-given promises to lean on. When we face spiritual opposition and have seen the hand of God at work protecting us, God is with us. God is in this thing that we are doing. So don't be afraid. Do have faith. I remember back in September, I was meeting up with uh, someone else who's a church leader. Uh, and at that point in time, the person I met with was uh, a bit stressed, a bit downcast, a bit confused about the church that he was leading. He had a few setbacks and didn't really know what to do. So we were talking about it, I was trying to help him a bit, uh, and then he said to me, so city centre, have you thought about how it's going to work and where you're going to get people from and how you're going to make something of it? And I remember just as he asked the question, just in my spirit, I knew the answer. And the answer was, God will provide. Jesus will build his church. But I didn't say it as the kind of cliched answer you sometimes say. At that moment, just something in me was birthed that I knew it was true that Jesus will build his church, that God will provide. I had faith from that moment for this. Church planting is stupid unless God is at work. But if God is at work and if God's in it, then church planting can change the world. Would you stand and I'm going to pray and then Emma will lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've done in us so far. Thank you that this isn't the beginning of something, Lord, but that you've been at work already, that you've been preparing the way, that you've fought battles, that you've provided. 
that we've seen impact on people's lives. Lord, what you've started, we pray, you bring to completion. Lord, we pray for your mission in this city. Thank you there are many people in Manchester who are yours. And we pray that we'd be bold, that we'd be effective, Lord, and that we'd be able to reach them and see your kingdom established here. And then from here, things go out to the end of the world, Lord. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we have faith that you are in this. Thank you that tonight you are with us. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 99. And if you'd like to know more about Christchurch Manchester's new plant into Manchester City Centre, you can visit www.christchurchmanchester.com slash city centre. See you next time.